in and take your seats, and we'll continue with our time uh, together this morning. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and want to welcome you here. Um, you know, last year, I ran, I had opportunity to run the BMO Vancouver Marathon, 42.2 kilometers, and all I got was this sweaty t-shirt to prove it. <clears throat> but... It was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. You will not see me in that picture. I'm way far at the back there, even off of the starting gate. But um, it was really fun, which I know those of you who are not runners are like, I do not understand how these people who run talk about you know, running for hours on end is fun. It was a great experience. But there were some parts that were not so great. So I'll just this is just a runner being honest with you. Like the part where you get to the end and you sit down and you cannot get back up again. That part is not so great. Um, the other part that I remember that wasn't so great was when I was coming around out of the UBC campus on Marine Drive, and uh, from that part by the Spanish banks, you can see across the bay, and you can see into Stanley Park. So I'm looking across, and I can see in Stanley Park, and suddenly it occurs to me there are runners from my race on the seawall, already there. And I thought, okay, where am I? I'm not even half finished this race yet, and there are people who are, just look like they're having a great old time already almost to the finish line. And I have like 20-something more kilometers to go in this. And so I became completely discouraged. I, I thought to myself, I want to be almost across the finish line. <laughs> so instead of it being like inspiring to me to see all of these elite runners, you know, just passing through Stanley Park and running across the finish line, I just became actually angry and thought, oh, I don't even want to continue with this whole thing. And just despondency and fatigue began to set in. So there is your little insight and window into these people that tell you that running is so much fun all of the time. Sometimes it's just a, despondent, a recipe for despondency, fatigue, anger, and frustration. And I bring this up because in our teaching on spiritual gift and in our series that we're doing called Unleashed this fall, sometimes when we get into a conversation on spiritual gifts, it can feel like that part of my marathon experience. You can look around and see other people and listen to the way that they talk about their experience of living and walking in the Spirit, and they seem like they are so far ahead of you on the race course. And instead of it being inspiring and encouraging, you just get angry and despondent and think, well, I will never be there. Whatever else I do or don't know about the gifts God has given me, I mean, I know I'll never have the same gift in that strength or measure as that person. I mean, I'll never be able to pray with the eloquence and ease that Katie leads us in at pre-gathering prayer. I'll never be able to show mercy like Pastor Wally does. I'll never be able to serve with loyalty like somebody like Tammy does. I'll never be able to teach an amazing lesson to kids like Margaret does. Like, I just won't. And when we compare ourselves to other people... Sometimes we just get discouraged and fatigued. And it can be easy to grow weary and angry 
and despondent and discouraged. And sometimes we just stop trying because we think, well, I'm not going to get there, so I'm not even going to try. But the Apostle Paul actually anticipated this challenge and this conversation. And so in one of the clear sections in the New Testament where he's teaching about spiritual gifts, in Ephesians chapter 4, he describes how to prevent this kind of frustration when you feel it growing in you or in a community. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your device to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look together this morning at a model for ministry within a local faith community. Actually, it might not be a model so much as it is a training plan or a running plan for us as to how to run the race well together. An Ephesians 4 kind of ministry training plan. So let's pray together as we look into God's Word this morning. God, we thank you that you are gracious and good and kind. We thank you that you have poured out your grace into this world and into our lives in so many creative and wonderful ways. And so, God, we thank you for the gifts that you have given by your Spirit. We acknowledge you as the giver. And, God, we pray that as we look into your Word this morning, that you would teach and instruct us, strengthen us, open our hearts, our spirits, our minds, our ears to be attentive to the things that you're saying to us, both as individuals and also as a community. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says this, I beg of you to lead a life that is worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there's one body and there is one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Skipping ahead to verse 7, He, God, has given each one of us a gift or a grace by the generosity or through the generosity of Christ. Going to verse 11, where Paul continues and says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, and we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, and this is a phrase he uses multiple times in this passage, we will speak the truth in love. And we're going to grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing 
and full of love. Paul begins his discussion in Ephesians 4 here about gifts by reminding them and us that gifts come into the context of the fact that we have been called by God. You have a calling on your life. But it is not a calling to rugged individualism where you say to others, move out of the way, I'm here to exercise my gifts and my calling that God has given to me. No. The model that's laid out here for us in Ephesians 4 is that we're about gifts ministry and the ministry of living and walking in the Spirit, but it's gifts-based team ministry. So yes, you have things that God has given to you and God has invited you to do as you participate in His redemptive purposes here on earth. And that's why He's given you the gifts that He has given you and the skills that He's given you and the heart that He's given you and the areas of passion and all of those things. But God has also given you a community around you that is going to assist and strengthen and partner with you in the things that God has invited you to do. You're going to work together as a team so that each part, the text says, is doing its work well. And so in Ephesians 4, the heart of what he's communicating to us is that both you and the church are at their best when you're functioning in an area that God has given you and gifted you and when you're doing it together with a group of people, with a team. See, that's what Pastor Wally was reminding us about last weekend when he was talking about love and working together in unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, because the goal of gift-based team ministry is the same wherever you find the discussion in the New Testament. There's four themes that always come up, always, always, in Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. Love, unity, health, and maturity. Those are the things that knit together the discussion and undergird the discussion of gift-oriented ministry because they come up every single time that spiritual gifts are discussed. And that should signal something for us that as we dive into discussions on spiritual gifts and talking about the church and us as individuals, that these four things are of deep importance to God. Love. We should ask ourselves, as I seek to love God and others well, what gifts might God be pouring out in this moment, in this experience, in this conversation, in this week, in this season of my life, that would be a wonderful expression of love to God and others so that I could love well? Unity. We could ask ourselves things like, is the exercise of my gift creating a deeper sense of connectedness and cohesion and unity in the family. Health is the exercise of the gifts leading to a greater sense of capacity to speak the truth in love. Maturity, 
as God graciously gifts you or I with the resource for ministry, are we using it in such a way that it's growing our faith and it's bringing maturity into the lives of other people? Those aren't simple or easy questions for us to wrestle with, but they're important ones. Because otherwise, we fall into a potential trap of thinking about the spiritual gifts being about how great it is that we're doing and knocking it out of the park and doing an amazing job as we go out and use our gifts in all these different ways. But if we're not growing in love, unity, health, and maturity, we might be winning a given battle, but we're losing the war. But thankfully, in Ephesians 4, Paul talks quite clearly about not only what we should be experiencing as we think about the gifts and resources God's given to us, but also how he desires for us to live them out and who's going to help us in that process. Because in verse 11, if you look, there's a list there. And remember, when we come up against these lists in the context of spiritual gifts, they're not meant to be exhaustive lists for us, that if it doesn't make it onto the list, ooh, we may not need to talk about it. They're meant to be examples or exemplary lists for us. And so Paul talks about gifts that Christ gave to the church for the purpose of developing love, unity, maturity, and health. And he lists five of them. And so we have four or five kinds of people resources that the text says are God's gift to the church. Now, I say four or five, because lots of arguing happens around this topic. And it happens around looking at the last particular gift on the list, pastors and teachers. And there's lots of fighting. Is it pastor teacher? Is it hyphenated? You know, uh, are, are those the same gift? Are they two separate gifts? All of those types of things. Is shepherding one function and teaching another function? All of that stuff. But if you've been tracking with us in this series, you might be able to guess at my answer. If you want to fight about that kind of stuff, you're completely missing the point. Who cares? Because remember our definition of spiritual gifts. Our definition is any resource, anything that can be used as a resource for ministry or an occasion for God to demonstrate His grace. So people who shepherd and care for other people well or people who teach and do that well, whether it's the same person or two different people, fantastic. Let's not get hung up on arguing is it a fourfold or fivefold ministry expression of all this that God's given to his church for the purposes of increasing love, unity, health, and maturity. If we get sidetracked, we're not developing love, unity, health, and maturity and fighting about where the comma is in the original language. All right? So, we'll just say there's a four or fivefold ministry that God's given a bunch of things to the church for the purpose of increasing love, unity, health, and maturity. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So for the remainder of our teaching time together, we're going to dive into each of these just a little bit and understand them a little bit more. Because there's a couple in this list that we don't bump up against as much in other discussions that we've had. So for example, we've talked about prophetic gifts uh, for a couple, spent two weekends on that. And shepherding and teaching gifts are, I think, easier to take note of and call out in the lives of others around us. So we're going to focus on uh, apostolic and evangelistic giftings. And I'm a bit more of a visual 
thinker, meaning that I like to draw things out or I work a little bit better when I can see a picture of something. Uh, and so I found it quite helpful in this discussion of Ephesians 4 to think in picture terms of what those particular gifts might be actually doing or creating in the life of a community. So it's a little bit like the Olympics. You know when the Olympics come out, they have a little icon for each sport that helps you understand if you never knew about what that sport was, what they do in that sport. You know, a little picture of a person in a sailboat sailing or a little picture of a runner, all that kind of stuff. So here's the five-fold ministry picture for apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So this little image, and we'll go through each one so you can kind of see what the image is about. Uh, we're going to look at each of these, and we're going to talk particularly about how they function based on the, on the text we see in Scripture. And then also we're going to talk about the dangers of each particular gift. And in this, I'm grateful to uh, Australian missiologist and author Alan Hirsch. He's written a couple of books about this. They're called The Forgotten Ways and The Forgotten Ways Handbook. And uh, so I read these an, uh, a number of years ago and found them quite helpful. And so if you want to pr press into this a little bit more, the diagram is from him, and, and you're welcome to borrow these books and uh, press into a little bit more if anything uh, piques your interest in this conversation. So we're going to look at each one uh, individually. And as we do, I want you to think about, okay, what part of this gift is going to bring strength to the mission that God has called us to, but also think about what danger is possible or what kind of maybe in unhelpful emphasis is possible if these gifts are out of balance or out of whack in some way. Because remember, we want to pursue a team, gift-based team approach. So think about as we go through this list, hmm, if everybody in our church had only this gift, how would we be out of balance in some way? And Pastor Wally will come around with the mic in a few minutes and ask you that question. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to jump in. Apostolic giftings. So look here at the direction of our little person icon. They're like running, like sprinting, full-out sprinting. Apostolic giftings, the, the word apostle, in the New Testament is used to talk about ones who are sent, people who extend the gospel. These are people who are just incredibly creative and gifted and pioneering kind of ministry. They're just always thinking of a new way in which God might want to be moving in some way. They're like kingdom-driven entrepreneurs that just God has given them something in their DNA that just this keeps stirring and perking all the time. And so they're very comfortable crossing boundaries. They're not very comfortable with the status quo. And so oftentimes you see them sprinting ahead. They're kind of moving quickly into things. And so there are some dangers with those who have apostolic giftings. One of the dangers is that they can get a little bit too far ahead. And so there's new ideas that are coming to them all the time, and they're rapidly expanding stuff. And so this can actually leave people or organizations wounded if these apostolic, people with apostolic giftings get too far out ahead of people. Because they, they dream big, and they encourage other people to take risks. And so they're moving all the time. And there's some people that just don't move as fast as those who have apostolic giftings. Think about the Apostle Paul. 
in the New Testament, how he was moving place to place and how he's pioneering. He's like, I just have this passion to take the gospel to places where it hasn't been yet. And that created some conflict for him in, in the team. He's breaking through these barriers into ministry in the Gentile world. And people are going, whoa, I'm not there with you yet, Paul. I'm not comfortable with this. And he's like, you know what then? We may just have to leave you in the dust because we're just moving in this. Even in his team, there was conflict. And so oftentimes, people with this kind of apostolic gifting, they, they might use it in a business setting. They might use it in ministry settings. I think about church planters or people that really have that kind of uh, movement-oriented, kingdom-driven, entrepreneurial mindset. And so... I actually think we have people here at Jericho who are gifted in this area. And so one of the things we want to do as we go through this uh, conversation and this series is just bring some stories to the surface about where kind of some of these gifts are playing themselves out in the life of our community. And I want you to hear stories of where they're playing themselves out in day-to-day -day kind of environments. Because it's a little bit easy for us to just think churchy stuff and go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, church planners, I get it. They are apostolically gifted. Fine, fine. They go out and start new communities. You know, all those type of things. But like, there's other ways in which this type of a gifting can find expression. And so I want you to hear stories of where people are getting traction in their workplace environments and, and their daily lives. So I've asked James Carpenter if he'd share a little bit. Pastor Wally's going to take the mic over there, and uh, you can hear some stories of James. Because, uh, James, as I've listened to you talk uh, over the last number of years, I have a phenomenal amount of respect for you. And I respect the way in which in your business environment that God has just wired you up to think in a really neat way with the gifts that he's given you. So tell us a little bit of stories about that, and just tell us about stepping into some of those places. Well, I, I started a business. Uh, I do detailing and, and car work repair and stuff like that. And I'm actually not interested in cars at all. Not my thing. I'm, I'm interested in people. I want to do youth work and, and done that in the past. And, and so started a business to support my family. And, and uh, what I find is as, when I enter into a business atmosphere, I'm able to listen to the problems that are going on, process it, and then add to my business in order to solve the problems of the businesses around me. So being able to, to process um, inefficiencies, cost overruns, and all that kind of stuff that the dealerships that I'm working with are dealing with. And so it's like, how do you build a business that's then able to, to meet those issues and, and, number one, generate more revenue for me? The problem with me is I'm constantly thinking of the problem and not necessarily have time to, to create the solution. So... I'll, sometimes I overpromise and overextend myself because I'm constantly thinking how I can meet their needs, and then but lacking the resources necessarily to do it. So sometimes overexpansion has been an issue, taking too many risks. If my wife is here, she would confirm that part of it for sure. <laughs> um, and staying focused. I I love listening to other business ideas, and I work with some other entrepreneurs. So it's constantly going from thinking about how I can solve problems in the car industry working with dealerships, all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm thinking about farming and how to solve stuff over there and, and wanting to start a residential facility for youth and how that will work. And so I stress my wife out because she's very much of a safety person and I'm like trying to solve every problem that possibly comes my way. Um, but, but that's what drives me and the, and the dreams and the visions and trying to figure out like how I can, like Lance Wall now talks about uh, making the crooked places straight and how that's a, like 
using a kingdom mindset. Like a lot, a lot of the ways the world works are really kind of crooked and not the way God intended. So if I can go in there and bring God's intention and God's vision for that direction and bring that to, into the secular world, then I can have a place where I can see his glory transform lives. And I see that when I go into dealerships and, and because I'm, they've found me trustworthy and, and I'm, I'm working to solve their problems with them, all of a sudden I, I'm sitting down with managers and owners of companies and, and they're like, they're bringing personal issues, their friend's son just committed suicide, how can I help him? Like crazy stories. Um, one of the, a guy who part, was part of the Chinese mafia is now was brokering between two gangs trying to stop them from getting into a fight. So he's bringing those issues to me to try and help him solve those in like areas that I wouldn't actually have context for in, in my normal everyday life. And, and now that is part of my normal everyday life. And it, it's kind of just, yeah, going in there with a kingdom mindset, trying to solve problems. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's bringing extra problems to you, which is awesome <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of... Yeah, what's been going on? Yeah, and James, I just see you when you're doing that and you're having these conversations, like the guys in your shop and the forklift uh, business that's kind of connected with you, just seeing God's kingdom kind of press into those areas because you're always thinking in this way. So maybe give us an example of a story from a conversation that's kind of come up uh, that you're doing ministry in this environment because God's kind of put these people around you. Right, <coughs> so the gentleman with the forklift business used to be part of the Chinese mafia, and he's, a, he's actually family members with the leaders of the Chinese mafia. Um, and he has been trying to get out and straighten his life out and stuff. So he runs all his life and business decisions through me, whether it's breaking up with his girlfriend or going to the gym or, you know, he, people, I mean, he obviously has a lot of outside influences that are negative. So he's like, this guy wants to wants me to get all this equipment for him so he can do drugs. Should I do this? Like, I can make a lot of money. And I'm like, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, trying to figure out where his values are. And all of a sudden, um, we'll sit down and we'll watch a, an evangelist on TV, and he's right into it. And so, so he's starting to change his mindset and walk with me and go, okay, like, how can... He's starting to ask me how we can solve the problems, how, how he can help get people off the street, how... Um, he can run his business in such a way, and because he's changed his life and he's actually running his business in a much more ethical way and righteous way, he's actually had some of the, his family members in the Chinese mafia go to him and go, we want you to be in control of our, our proper businesses. So then, so then he's, so he's getting all this money from, from these other places and then bringing it to me and saying, okay, how can we do this? How can we start proper businesses and run them properly and so it, it's kind of him and I in partnership and he's in yeah we're in the process he wants me to sit down with some of the members of the Chinese mafia and uh <laughs> yeah it's it's a bit of a weird situation but yeah yeah but I think that uh the that the Lord's put you in that situation because of the fact that he's wired you up that way. Like he's given you this mind that works and thinks ahead and is always trying to figure out, okay, how can we take risk but bring that into, the, into a kingdom mindset and perspective? So when you think about James, you need to pray for him. Um, <laughs> and when you get your, you know, if you're getting a car detailed or a car dealer, like pray for James and when God brings him to your mind because these are doors that God has opened to him because of the way in which uh, he's been sent and equipped by God 
into the places uh, where he's using his gift set in that way. And so as your faith community, we want to stand with you. And we commit, as God brings you to uh, our minds, that we'll pray with you and pray uh, for the people that God puts you in front of. And so let's thank James for sharing that with us. Um, So that's an apostolic gifting at work. And there's so many different ways in which this can kind of work itself out. But again, remember, some of the dangers here, getting too far ahead, all of these things kind of come with that uh, package. And so we're thinking again about how do we make sure that we're working together as a team. So let's go to the next one, prophetic giftings. Uh, These are people who inspire people. If uh, apostolic giftings are extending and moving, prophetic giftings are inspiring people to respond to God. Remember, we talked about this. We're believing that God's speaking to us, and then we're being bold to share that out, whatever God is putting on your heart to share with other people. Now, the danger for people in prophetic work and listening to God in that way is sometimes people with prophetic giftings can kind of become belligerent because they feel so strongly that God's given them this word and they can become activistic about it. And sometimes people with prophetic giftings, when they don't see the change and they don't feel like there's receptivity to what's being communicated, they can just totally get discouraged and disengage because they think, ah, nobody's ever going to change. I'm just going to give up. The imperfection of reality and real life kind of gets to people sometimes with this Uh, personality and this gifting. So again, we covered this. Our little person, they're receiving from God, they're sharing with others. But think about that last element in the danger zone. When you call someone to act on what it is that you feel like God's put on your heart for them, be aware of the fact that, and watch your own propensity to become kind of either discouraged if they're not getting it, or belligerent and just say, maybe I just need to Maybe I should yell at them. Maybe that would help. I just need to dial the volume up or the intensity level up as opposed to just letting the Holy Spirit do the work that God wants to do in their heart and in their lives. And so I just want to remind those who are working or wrestling with this gift, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Like we need those giftings in the life of the community. And so just because people don't respond always, don't discourage um, Remember, the message and the gift is from the Lord. So people aren't rejecting you as a person. You're just the messenger. And so if they're not in a place of readiness to move on what God's revealing to them through you, just keep up, keep activating that gift. We need you. So that's the second gift uh, of apostolic, prophetic. So the third gift is that evangelistic, those with evangelistic giftings. These are people who are infectious communicators of the gospel. They're declarers. They're always talking and, and expressing the message of faith to those around them. And they're hopefully drawing other people to engage in a wider mission and reminding people about those who still need to hear about the truth of the gospel. And the danger for these people, though, is they can be so focused on the outward dimension of things that they kind of forget about the life of those in the community. 
And so they can focus on reaching those outside and sometimes not on maturing and strengthening those inside. So when I think about an evangelistic gifting, I think a little bit about my mom. She's always talking to people about God and she's led more people to faith in grocery store lineups and at restaurants and on park benches. And she just kind of keeps talking all the time about what God is doing in her life and inviting people to respond to God's grace and goodness. And God seems to have given her a unique way of doing that that people respond to. And when I'm with her, I, A, don't think about those things that she's going to bring up in conversation. And even when she does step out into it, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is going to be embarrassing. This isn't going to go well at all. But again, God's just given her a real faith to step into those conversations. And God seems to use her in incredible ways. Because even though I'm extroverted by personality, you know, I look at her and I think, well, I can't do that. And so for years, I just told myself, I'll let my mom do all of the evangelism on behalf of the whole family. <laughs> and I'll just focus on other stuff. But we're going to come back to that in a few minutes and compare that. Again, I was reminded in our life journaling reading this week in Second Timothy where we're encouraged, hey, each of us is called to do work as an evangelist. So in other words, you and I are not off the hook when it comes to any expression of a given gift of the Spirit just because someone else is better at it or further down the road than we are. So we'll come back to that thought in a moment. Gift number four, shepherding giftings. So the shepherding gift has been given to the church to nurture and protect and cultivate an environment that's loving and spiritually mature and so that people are really devoted and developed in their, in their own disciple making. But the shepherding gift the danger factor can be that they value stability to the detriment of mission. And so they can uh, think about, again, maybe a conflict between an apostolic-type gifting who's out there just moving and a shepherding gifting who's going, but we need to care for people. You're moving too quickly into other things. And so some of the dangers for shepherding giftings is they can value that stability. Sometimes when God is saying, move, uh, to the detriment of mission. And they can also sometimes foster an unhealthy dependence of between the church and themselves because they kind of like the caring aspect of things and they get lots of accolades for it. And so sometimes they step into that in ways that are maybe unintentional but really are about their own ego and their own needs as opposed to maybe a gift that God's pouring out and using by His Spirit. So shepherding, teaching giftings, Teachers are those, if shepherds nurture, teachers are those who explain. They understand what it is and they help people remain biblically grounded. They guide the community towards wisdom and a deeper capacity to discern and respond to God's will. Teachers, you've got, see all the arrows? They're all going to the head. So the danger in that, you might be able to guess at, is either dry intellectualism or dogmatism where they just say, no, this is the way that it is. And if you don't get it, clearly it's because you don't have the gifts that I do of teaching. And if you had it, you would get it. So beyond the dangers of each of those uh, specific pitfalls, you can see a little bit about what are some dangers that would exist if the church was tilted towards one of those gifts. Uh, if you've got a thought about that, put your hand up and Pastor Wally will come around with the microphone. Have you ever seen an example or something's played itself out where you go, ooh, if all the church had a gift of evangelism and they didn't value other gifts, what would that look like? 
Yeah, Sandy. and excited about the gospel and they've come to a church that's uh, fairly well established and they've presented themselves as a pastor type. Mm. They turn out to be an evangelist. Right. And all the messages are come to Christ, come to Christ. There's no no feeding, there's no maturing, there's no right. deepening. Yeah. The people say, we've been deceived. Mm. This mm -hmm. man has misrepresented himself. Yeah. When really he's a gifted evangelist and, and churches have to be careful of that. Yeah. If that helps. Yeah, no, I think that's a good word, right? Because one of the challenges that we run into is that for the last couple hundred years, the model, when we think about pastor, is probably a shepherd-teacher type model. And so then a church steps into a hiring process, we're going to hire a, a pastor. And so the title gets confused with the gifting. And so that person might wear a title of pastor, but they might be just completely gifted as an evangelist. And so the match between a congregation or the sense of team around them gets missed. Yeah, that's a good example. Other examples that you can think of? Yeah, Gary. Uh, I heard one uh, uh, person within a certain stream of uh, evangelicalism uh, that, that uh, is very intellective. And uh, he was saying that uh, that seminary that he was an uh, instructor at was competing in, a, in a, uh, a sport, you know, a contest with another seminary. And just like we typically do, he says, uh, uh, we had never played this sport before, we went and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, uh, unfortunately, I had my, my senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess they lost at that one, but you get the picture, right? Even some schools or seminaries are tilted more towards a training institution or organizations are tilted one way or the other towards a particular cluster of these gifts. Uh, and in fact, some wonderful and amazing ministries, parachurch ministries that have been used by God in many powerful ways have grown up because the church in that era has just been totally silent on a particular issue. And so people have just felt a sense of burning passion that the church needs to recapture this sense of a particular gift. And so whole ministries have struck up to really strengthen the evangelistic uh, impetus of the church in given eras. And so uh, you guys have figured this out. This, uh, you make sense, right? If we bend only towards one or a few of these things, then we're going to get a bit of a malformed or not necessarily a fully robust picture of what's happening because we're out of balance in unity, love, health, and maturity and growing together. But here's the other part that sometimes we miss in the text. Because the text is clear that God gave these gifts to his church, but what have they been given for? Look with me at verse 12. The responsibility of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So their responsibility of those with these gifts 
is actually not to rush out and do all the work of the ministry. Their responsibility is to equip and resource the rest of us and thus build up the body of Christ. Because here's where we often get it wrong. We look around the church and we try and find and we see somebody with a strong gift of evangelism and we say, ah, cool, all right, let's send that person out. They're gonna run Alpha and they're gonna be on the, let's give them the job of telling everybody about Jesus. And so we say, yeah, go out, you know, uh, Joel Schachter, go and witness to everybody on behalf of Jericho Ridge. That'll be so great because uh, they'll have a gift of evangelism. And uh, then they uh, go out and we think to themselves, yeah, you know, um, I'm glad Joel's doing the work of evangelism for Jericho. That's just super, you know, because uh, we'll just, I'm sure that he'll just lead everyone he ever sits beside on an airplane to saving faith in Jesus. But then a subtle shift begins to happen because over time we begin to think to ourselves, oh, if Joel's doing the work of evangelism, maybe I don't have to do the work of evangelism. Because, you know, he's really good at it. Like, I could just never be like Joel. I think it would be best if we just left that to him or whatever. So the challenge becomes, that's not what the text says. If we send an evangelist out to do all of the evangelism, guess what happens? We actually have created a scenario whereby doing that, we have put them in a position to be disobedient to God's command and equipping and strengthening in their lives. Because the reason that God gave his church people with stronger gifts in that area isn't to do extra heavy lifting, it's actually to do extra equipping so that the rest of us who don't necessarily have that gift in perhaps the same measure grow into it in a deeper and stronger way. The reason God gave apostolic giftings to his church is to nudge us along and challenge us so that we don't get stuck inwardly focused or get too cozy and then we just become a club where people get their social needs met. That's what working together in team and gift-based ministry is all about. So go back to my story on evangelism, or my marathon story rather, for a minute. So I told you that I was completely discouraged when I saw the athletes all in Stanley Park and I was back in, at UBC. So eventually, many, many, many uh, uh, moons later, I made it to Stanley Park and I was running around, uh, pounding the pavement in the seawall and I was almost done, but I was almost done in many, many ways. I was almost done mentally, I was almost done physically, and I just, I got around to the part in Stanley Park where I was hitting a wall, and I remember it clearly because it was right by that statue of, in Stanley Park with the guy running, and I remember under my breath cursing the park board for letting them put a statue of a runner, not at the finish line, but still where I still had to keep running in my time of despair. And so I was just about to give up and think, you know what, just forget it. I'm going to walk the rest of the way if I can even manage that. And right at the statue, a guy came along beside me and he struck up a conversation with me. And he starts with, it's a fantastic day for running, isn't it? You know, you're almost there. You can do it. Keep going. You know, I, I, I was tired too at your point. We can do it. Like, I'll just run with you for this. And it was just enough to take my mind off the fact that I thought and was convinced I couldn't do it. And I was too weak and feeble to continue. And I looked at his bib number, because races usually are organized where if you have a lower bib number, you go out earlier. And my bib number was in the like thousands, 5,000 something or other. And his number was like in the hundreds. And so all of a sudden it struck me, oh, 
this was one of those guys that I saw rounding Stanley Park hours earlier. Like he could have been back at his hotel room, showered, and out for lunch by now. But here he has, he's decided he's going to come back and encourage all the rest of us pathetic fools along the way who are still almost there but not quite there yet. He's going to actually cycle back and just strengthen us for this last push to kind of get through that moment of need where we need encouragement. And to me, that became a profound picture of what we're called to in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, whatever gift God has given you, and when you develop it by His grace, and it becomes a strong gift, you have the responsibility to cycle back in the race and help those around you, help the rest of us, to build up and encourage and strengthen us for the works of service that God is calling us to do. If you're a strong teacher, help coach and develop and mentor others who are still in a learning mode. If you're a natural shepherd, take somebody along with you when you're working at caring for somebody well. Help them see that they could do it too. If you're a parent, help notice and nurture the gifts that God has given in your children. And so as we wrap up our time today, let's go back to those four foundational pieces again that come up and this text is telling us. What is Ephesians 4 telling us about love, unity, health, and maturity? About love, we need to put the needs of others ahead of our own needs. We're a team. Stick with the team, even if it means you're going to have to run a slower race. Cycle back. Putting the needs of others ahead of just, well, I'm, I'm like, impatient with people that aren't expressing the gift. And this is a challenge for those of you who are high-capacity runners in a given gift area. It's one of the reasons people leave churches. Because they get frustrated with others who don't see the world through their lens of their gifting. And so they just say, forget it. You guys don't get it. And they move on. My encouragement to you is stick with the team. Yes, we may not get it in the way that you get it and see it. But be patient with us. Help us. Nudge us along. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, make allowance for each other's faults because you love each other. Secondly, unity. The reason that unity is in every discussion about spiritual gifts is because we should expect conflict when we have this conversation. We should expect bumps along the way. And so we need to be reminded of that. That because there's such incredible diversity that God's given to his family, it's going to create disunity and a potential to pull in different directions. And so one of the admonitions in Ephesians is just stay open to correction and submission. People are going to rub you the wrong way. People are going to say and do things that you think are dumb. That's just part of life together. But the bigger picture is that the gifts are designed to bring us together, not pull us apart. And this is because the third thing Ephesians 4 highlights for us is that notion of health that God has designed and desires for his church. None of us as individuals is as strong as all of us working together. So we need to remember that God's given you a part to do. God's given you a calling. And do the part that you're responsible for. Don't get worried about doing it all. That's what the team is for. But you need to do your part well. That's what brings health and strength to the body. I'm never going to be able to do things like other people have been gifted 
in this body to do. And we need each other. And so as we grow in health, we realize again and again, ah, maybe the point of God's family is that I don't, I'm not designed to do this alone. We need this diversity to strengthen the work and get the job done together. Lend your part, even if you think your part is small and insignificant. It's not, because we're doing it together. And finally, the last big push in this passage is to remind us of the end game. That we're going to press in toward maturity. And so we need to have a willingness to coach others that God's put around us. The point of growth, that God's done something in your life and in your heart, is so that you can help other people grow. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, God helps us in our struggles so that we can assist and help and strengthen others who are going through those same kinds of things. And so when God strengthens you and brings healing into your life, it's not time to just go, woohoo, thank you, God, and move on to something else. It's your time to cycle back and think, okay, let me look around Jericho and see where are the places that if God grew my faith in my life in this area, I could provide support and coaching to someone around me. Don't leave the race course, go home, have a shower, and go out to lunch. Cycle back, help other runners finish well. Ron and the team are going to come and lead us in response, in a song of response. And I love the picture that this text finishes with it. It says that as each part of the body does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow because the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, when each of us does our part, we help each other cross the finish line well. Because that's the goal, to be able to get across that finish line and to hear God say to you as an individual and to us as a community, well done, Jericho. Well done. You were a good and faithful servant. You loved well. You grew in love and maturity and unity together. That's what I gave you the gifts for. And so until then, we just keep pressing in. We keep bumbling forward together. We keep inviting the Lord to grow us, to show us our need for Him in all things. And so during this song, you might want to sing. You might want to just journal about a specific action that you feel like God wants you to take. You might want to send an email to somebody and say, hey, do you want to get together for coffee this week? I feel like you're stronger in this gift than I am, and I'd love to just pick your brain about how to grow in that, to sharpen and develop.